Thank you for listening to the Faith Free Lutheran Sermon Archive. Today's sermon, for the Transfiguration of Our Lord, is preached by Pastor Jason Goodham. If you have questions or comments about today's sermon, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website, faithlutheran-aflc.org. Now let's join in and hear what God has to say to us today. Good morning again. A special welcome to those of you who are visiting us this morning. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I would at this time invite you to stand as I read the sermon text appointed for this Sunday. The sermon is taken from Psalm 2, verses 6 through 12, can be found on page 844 of your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. Reading in Jesus' name, Psalm 2, verses 6 through 12. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Heavenly Father, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray that this morning you would sanctify us in the truth, that you would convict us of sin in our lives where that is necessary, and that you would comfort and encourage us with the promises of your gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Today, as was already mentioned during the children's sermon, is Transfiguration Sunday. And Transfiguration Sunday is the high point of the season of Epiphany. Now, Epiphany is all about Christ being revealed to the world. At the beginning of Epiphany, we celebrate the Savior of the world being revealed to the Magi, to the Gentiles. And throughout Epiphany, we take a look in the scripture readings of Jesus' various miracles (coughs) that identify who he is for the people of God. As such, then, transfiguration is incredibly important during the flow of the church here. Because on Wednesday, this upcoming Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, we switch from the height of who Jesus is to the lows of the suffering of the Son of God during Lent. For us to see and know the sufferings of Christ as he prepares to be and ultimately crucified, for us to see that and know that, we must realize two things. One, that Jesus is in control and knows what he's doing, and two, that he's not defeated, that the church will not be overcome by those who sought to crucify Jesus. Lent, in light of transfiguration, is all about the plan, that this is a part of God's plan. And the glory of it all and the wonder of it all are that Jesus' sufferings And Jesus' crucifixion and Jesus' death are all what God intended to do for us. And so with that in mind, we turn our eyes 
back to the transfiguration of Jesus and back to Psalm 2. And what we're going to do this morning is to look at three sets of three that help us understand God's plan. And so the first set is the three titles of Jesus. As we begin our examination of the second half of the second psalm, we first want to make note of these three titles. And starting in verse 6, the first title we come across is King. But more importantly than just King, God refers to Jesus in Psalm 2 as my King. And that's immensely important for us to take note of and identify because of the nature of our sin. In our sin and in our idolatry, we are constantly trying to remove God's king and replace him with our own. Whether it's because we're chasing after earthly power, whether it's because we're chasing after flattery, or pride, or whether it's rather that we're just honest about the entire matter and realize that it's us, we ourselves, who want to be king. In the end, we not only want to be king, we want to be the king makers. Even in our faith and perhaps even our piety, we chase after phrases like, Jesus might be your Savior, but is he your Lord? As if we possibly, through some act or will of ours, make Jesus Lord. But it doesn't work like that. In Psalm 2, God reminds us that he is in control. God reminds us that he is the kingmaker. The next title we want to look at then is Son. The king whom God puts on the throne isn't just any king. He isn't just God's king. He's God's own son. And this means God is invested in the work of the king. The activity of the king is now personal for God. The king will not be a mere vassal or puppet. He will do and execute God's will. And that brings us to the third and final title for Jesus in Psalm 2, the Lord. The king is the son, but not merely as an heir. The king is also the Lord. And what that means for us, again, on Transfiguration Sunday, is that the king is divine. He doesn't simply do the will of God. He does the will of God as God. And it also means that the king is our redeemer. I think one of the most brilliant concepts, if not the single most brilliant concept that Luther taught in his catechism is that for us to call Jesus Lord is the same thing as for us to call Jesus Redeemer. The whole purpose of Jesus as Lord is that Jesus comes as King. Jesus comes as Master and purchases us out of slavery and becomes our Lord. Our mere existence as Christians 
Maybe, as C.S. Lewis would say, our mere Christianity is to know Jesus and to know him as Lord, which means to know him as our Redeemer. And it's this concept of Redeemer that allows us to move to the second set of three in Psalm 2. And the second set of three is three important mountains. After identifying the king, his king, God tells us what he's going to do with his king in Psalm 2. He's going to set his king on Mount Zion, his holy hill. Now this ultimately is a reference to the temple. And the temple is the place where God has chosen his name and his presence to dwell. But to understand what it means to have the king established on Mount Zion, we have to take a look at two other important mountains in Scripture. Today, of course, we want to mention the Mount of Transfiguration. The king, as we have mentioned, can be established on Mount Zion because he is God in the flesh. Jesus' divine nature is revealed to his disciples and to us at the transfiguration. God identifies him as such. God audibly speaks to Peter, James, and John and says, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And at the transfiguration, Jesus is flanked by Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, teaching us that the whole of Scripture points us to Jesus, points us to who he is, tells us about who Jesus is and about what Jesus does. And so for God to set Jesus on Mount Zion, he must first set Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration and let us know, let the whole world know who Jesus is. But alongside the Mount of Transfiguration, there's one more mountain that God sets his holy king on. And that's Mount Calvary. Besides the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, Mount Zion, the whole important point of the Temple Mount is the place where atonement was made for the people. Jesus not only equates himself with the temple many times in the Gospels, he says things like, tear down this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again. Jesus happens to be the location where atonement is made for our sins. On the cross, Jesus takes our place in the punishment we deserve for our sins. On the cross, Jesus sheds his own blood to cleanse us from our sins. And on the cross, Jesus purchases our redemption. And so God says, sets his king on Mount Zion so that atonement might be complete so that redemption might happen. And it's that reality that leads us to the final set of three. And that is three effects on the people of God. 
The first effect that the king who is the son and the son who is the Lord has is fear. And for Christians, maybe even specifically for American Christians, fear is the thing in the Bible I think we wrestle with and struggle with the most. We don't like fear. We don't like to be afraid. After all, in the Bible, God himself tells us that God is love. And we want God to be welcoming. We want God to be warm and safe. And he is. And we'll get to that. But much like Aslan in the Chronicles of Narnia, the lion is not safe. But he is good. So our response to this concept of fear is to dull it a bit. To think only about reverence. And we should have a reverent awe of God. We should reflect and meditate on the majesty and the beauty and the glory of God. But we should also fear Him. And we should fear Him specifically because of the scene that is being painted for us here in Psalm 2. Because the ultimate picture Psalm 2 communicates to us is the image of Judgment Day. And the reason we fear is because we're sinners. We are the rebels who have come trying to usurp the throne of God and replace the king with someone else. And so this psalm, Psalm 2, communicates to us the idea of wrath. And wrath is for us the most appropriate word we can conjure in the English language to think about God's response to sin. God hates sin. He despises it. It makes him angry. And he will and does judge and condemn sin. But God is good. And when he judges sin, and when he condemns sin, he does so at the cross. And he does so on his son, who is the king and who is the Lord. God pours out his wrath. Wrath that you and I have justly earned and accumulated with the totality of our sin. And God pours it out on his son who hangs from the cross in our place. And the outcome of this is that God, like he does through Jesus to Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration, God likewise says to us, do not fear. Because the outcome is salvation. I think it's so perfectly beautiful in Psalm 2 that the last phrase that is uttered is blessed are those who take refuge in him. 
The word blessed, the term blessed, is the language of the Beatitudes. We've covered the Beatitudes before. Blessed are the weak. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are persecuted. And we've covered and we've taught that the outcome of the Beatitudes is that this word blessed is a word that means salvation, that is closely tied with salvation. And here in Psalm 2, all the way back in the Old Testament, it means exactly the same thing. The outcome of God establishing His Son, His King on Mount Sion is salvation. That Christ is judged, that your sin is judged as Christ, so that God might save you. And that was God's plan all along because God is in control. And when that happens, and it has happened, the only thing left, the final effect of God's in controlness, is that you are permitted and commanded to take refuge in Jesus. That's the outcome. That you, who in your sinful nature and in your sin would wrest the kingdom from God and from His Son, are now told, you are now invited, you are now commanded to flee to Jesus, to find protection in His kingship and in His lordship and in His sonship. In Jesus, and because of Jesus, you will not only be saved, but you will be protected. You will be saved and protected from your sins, from your rebellion. They will no longer cling to you and condemn you as guilty before God, but they cling to Jesus, having been nailed with him to the cross. And in Jesus, and because of Jesus, you are saved and protected from sin and from death and from the devil. As you take refuge in Jesus, Satan can no longer harm you. But you are surrounded and kept safe. But most importantly, in Jesus, and because of Jesus, you are saved and protected from God. You are saved from his wrath and you are saved from his condemnation and you are saved as his child. And so, because of our salvation, the command to kiss the Son becomes an invitation to kiss our brother, to be welcomed and adopted into the family of God as heirs, co-heirs with Jesus Christ. And then we serve him. And then the trembling we serve God with is no longer the trembling of terror and fear, but it is the trembling of joy and wonder that God would send his king that God would send His Son, that God would send our Lord to love us and to die for us and to save us so we could be His. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.